the number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. This season of Strong Opinions Loosely Held is brought to you by Spotify. If you're a fan of our show, check out Good As Hell. It's a new spotlight by Spotify in partnership with Refinery29. Good As Hell's host Lizzo talks with the leading ladies of rap about breaking down barriers. And it's more than just a podcast. It's a safe space for all women in music. Spotlight also gets you way closer to the story with related photos, videos, and animations available with each episode. Good As Hell, a new spotlight only on Spotify. Hey, everyone. I'm Elisa Kreisinger, and this is Strong Opinions Loosely Held from Refinery29. Last season, I received a lot of feedback on the episode Teenage Girls Are Magic, and it was the part of the episode where we dive into the story behind On Fleek that really resonated with you. Now, if you don't remember, Kayla Lewis, aka Peaches Monroe, was a young teenage woman of color using Vine, and she was using it to document her mundane life as a high school student in Fayetteville, Georgia. Here's an excerpt from that episode. On June 21, 2014, Kayla published a video that would become a global phenomenon. She was sitting in the passenger seat of her mom's car, and the seatbelt alert was going off. We in this beach, finna get crunk. Abraz on fleek, the fuck? The video goes viral. Ariana Grande sings a rendition of it in August 2014. Who in this beach? And then it goes through the endless loop of social media. IHOP uses it to sell pancakes on fleek. Jenny's uses it to promote its hash browns, also on fleek. Taco Bell tweets that it too is on fleek. Nicki Minaj and Kim Kardashian West follow. Everyone is on fleek, except for this poor girl's bank account. It quickly sort of metastasizes outwards from the internet, from Vine over to Twitter and beyond, that started a global phenomenon. And that's it. And it's a seven-second clip. That's Wired reporter and digital producer Emma Gray Ellis. I wanted to talk to Emma because she dug into Peach's story for an article on who gets to profit from memes. And that's where we're picking up with Peach's story today. Who does get to profit from memes? And if memes are meant to be remembered, will anyone remember Peaches? As a reporter, I spend most of my time just on the internet surfing through various different forums. I spend a lot of time on Reddit and stuff like that. 
But this one actually came to me through a friend who she's just a depository of all things, all things pop culture. And she's like, have you seen this GoFundMe for Peaches Monroe? And I had it and I didn't even really remember who Peaches Monroe was because, you know, 2014 and the height of On Fleek was kind of a long time ago. I found her GoFundMe page. She puts together this relatively cogent plea for for funds because, you know, she's had all these celebrities who are profiting from what she views as a word that she invented, a phrase that she invented. It's been on Ariana Grande products. Rihanna wore a hat that said On Fleek. There's a B.O.B. song that's called fleek. She hasn't seen any money from this. She wants to start a business, a makeup line. She had a fundraising goal. And when I looked in, she had gotten at something like 10%. It was like about 11 grand. And it just, it struck me because it was right around the time when I started seeing reports about the kid behind Damn Daniel. If you haven't seen it, it's a vine where someone says, Damn Daniel, about a pair of white vans. Damn Daniel. Damn Daniel. Damn, Daniel. Damn, Daniel. Back at it again with the white man. Damn. From Riverside, California, people from Daniel and Josh. And that kid got a lifetime supply of sneakers and an appearance on Ellen. Chewbacca mom. She got college scholarships, which is, you know, incredibly valuable. <laughs> Part of the reason that she got rewarded so publicly and quickly is that she is a mom. And so the narrative around her was always centered around the fact that she was a mom and a caretaker. And so giving her college scholarships made a lot of sense to people. And and also, I think it was just that that meme was so happy and, and made so much news. She got direct monetary reward in a very public way. Uh, in some ways, it's like the, the silliest, most low effort meme ever. It's the difference between putting on a mask and laughing and inventing a word is is large and we didn't reward the right the right half of that scale <laughs> on fleek actually had staying power but here was this originator who hadn't had any ellen appearances who didn't have any products that were coming her way who didn't have anything but was asking people who used her word and enjoyed basically the stuff that she created and just asking them for a couple dollars and that just seemed to me to be such a heartfelt and valid request and so i i wanted to find out more and what did you find out once you started digging into that story? Yeah, when I started looking into the story, I started by asking professors and people who study memes, like the people behind Know Your Meme, the website, in what situations do people make money off of their memes? And what became pretty immediately apparent is that if you are an animal or a white person, you are far more likely to get credit for your meme than if you are a minority, especially a black person. And that's horrible because that's where a lot of the most shareable memes come from. Everything from ain't nobody got time for that, Arthur clenching his fist. Most of the hyper shareable memes that we see on the internet every day originated in the black community, often on black Twitter. When I started talking to scholars of African-American culture and then some of these meme creators themselves, like uh, April Rain is um, managing editor of Broadway Black and the originator of the Oscar So White hashtag. Mm. It's her opinion that she has never seen any black meme creator be rewarded for their work on the internet. And so to me, this seems like a, a huge disparity. And so I wanted to figure out why that actually was. Why was that? Yeah, it's it's complicated. It obviously has a lot to do with structural inequalities. And so access to influence is huge. In order to successfully make money from your meme, there's usually a copyright involved. 
Um, and so the big success stories in the meme world are like Nyan Cat and Keyboard Cat and Grumpy Cat, where they were able to like trademark the name or the image. And then every time that you see that on a handbag or Grumpy Cat, there's the Grumpy Chinos. T-shirts, costumes, plush dolls, so everyone can have a Grumpy Cat. The Grumpy Cat also got a movie deal this year. We announced Grumpy Cat's coffee brand, uh, Grumpuccino. Get a book out. She has a book out. Is that as told to, or did she actually write it? Well, I mean, the author listed on the book is Grumpy Cat. All of that was lucrative for the owners of those cats. If your face isn't a meme, you can trademark your image in some cases, but it's really difficult to do with a phrase. Phrase is really difficult to copyright. Famously, Paris Hilton trademarked That's Hot as her own creation, obviously. <laughs> Donald Trump failed to trademark You're Fired. And so it's really hard to do, even if you are someone who commands the wealth and influence of uh, the president of the United States now. Peaches has, has no access to that kind of thing. It, without a high-powered lawyer, she was never going to be able to trademark on fleek in the first place. More legally savvy people tend to think as soon as they go viral, they like have their lawyer on, on speed dial. But that is happening a little bit as, as things go forward. But that was not the case in 2014. Um, if you're a white person who's posting on Facebook, maybe elsewhere, you're more likely to end up in front of Ellen DeGeneres, basically. From Riverside, California, please welcome Daniel and Josh. It got more than 133 million views, making it the most viewed Facebook Live video ever. And now the woman behind the mask is here. People like to introduce their audiences to people that they know their audiences will be interested in. And so if your core audience is you know, middle-aged white people on Facebook, you're, that's where you're going to find your viral people to bring on. And uh, because, it, they, because they won't necessarily know who Peaches Monroe is. They might have heard on Fleek, but like, unless they were big into Vine, which most 45-year-old white ladies weren't, it's, they, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't compute. The internet, even though it feels really democratized and really global, it is made of these separate compartments that a lot of people don't cross between them. Is that what you mean by the meme monetization gap? Yeah. And so like the meme monetization gap is our shorthand, my editor and I, because in order to monetize, either you need to have a copyright or you need to be somehow making this meme into a lucrative business. And there's a couple ways to go about that. But the biggest one is just like celebrity appearances going on TV, meet and greets, conventions, because they're such recognizable internet figures. You might remember Danielle Brigoli, who's who appeared on Dr. Phil. So tell me what you think you're doing that contributes to this chaos. I don't behave disrespectful. I steal cars. She was super combative. And all these hoes laughing like so funny. Did, did you say the, the, the hoes are laughing? Yep. So the audience are a bunch of hoes. Yeah. Eventually threatened the audience by saying, Catch me outside, how about that? Huh? Catch me outside, how about that? And is forever immortalized by the internet. Catch you outside? What does that mean? What I just said. Catch her outside means she'll go outside and do what she has to do. That went massively viral. Just that phrase and just the coming out of a, of a tiny teenager being like so uh, belligerent just struck people as super hilarious. I believe at one point she was charging $30,000 for meet and greets. Oh my God. It's crazy. And she also had merchandise. And that's the other thing. If you're thinking ahead about this kind of stuff, and if you have someone in your life or someone who contacts you who says, hey, like you've gone viral, have you considered t-shirts? That doesn't happen for, for people in poor communities. It doesn't happen 
for people who just don't have access to those kinds of people or people with that knowledge. It's intellectually tricky because memes by their very nature are made to be appropriated and remixed. Every time that someone else slaps on a different caption, they can argue that it's their meme. And so for most people, the person who creates the meme is invisible. And that was the case for much of internet history. It's only in recent years as people have started to see the internet as like a mature marketplace or a place where a lot of money can be made from the fads of the internet that companies and booking agents have started stepping in and saying, oh, you should appear on our show. What you've done is culturally relevant and interesting. Let's talk about it. And so the people in those positions have enormous power to shape who who does or doesn't get one of those big deals, who gets a lifetime supply of vans and who gets a GoFundMe. And just the way that our society works, it tends to be that those people select the people that they are most familiar with or they think that their audiences will find most palatable. And, and those tend to be young, attractive white people. When you speak to people who study race and racism on the internet, one of the things that they reiterated to me over and over is that when black people do something on the internet, it's not seen as mastery of a digital platform. It's seen as these are people who are representative of the entire black community. This must be what they're all doing. It's not her original idea. Everyone around her is probably saying on fleek, isn't that an interesting trend? It's sort of distressing. And it's just an, a, clearly something baked deep in people's mindsets. I think most people don't even realize that they're doing it. And so it's those kinds of unconscious biases that play into who gets selected to, to go on TV and who gets offered legal counsel for merchandising. Yeah, that's so interesting that people of color aren't seen as authors of original cultural yeah. products. Which is, which is, you know, obviously patently untrue. I spoke to a bunch of copyright lawyers, and they said that this has been an pr issue in the black community for forever. The same kind of thing happened in the early days of jazz and blues. It's, like, hard to know who originated a particular riff. Somebody did, but if those people don't realize that what they're creating isn't going to become a phenomenon, and because of structural inequality, they don't have access to lawyers, it just becomes sort of consumed in the larger cultural conversation and you never get credit for your own creative work. Lawsuits are expensive. Uh, copyright cases are expensive, especially if you end up trying to sue, like if Nike had slapped on fleek on a pair of sneakers, I think Peaches would have been hard pressed to, to counter that. Right. It's basically you're pitting usually young people of color who are, you know, teenagers and then pitting them against larger corporations who want to benefit from their work. And it's not, it's unevenly matched. April Rain, who's been such an activist for making sure that black people on the internet get credit where credit is due. People are starting to think about this beforehand. And here are your options. If you go viral, here's what you should do. And that's an incredible resource for these kids because I think that if I was 18 and I happened upon a viral thing, I don't think I would have known what to do either. And so there is now that, you know, as the internet matures, as all of these processes become solidified as part of our culture, it, we have an opportunity to get better about this. And I think that's kind of the inflection point we're at, we're at now. You know, this is sad and I've been trying to get in touch with Kayla, but I, her GoFundMe page is gone. 
uh, I know that at some point she had raised $11,000, possibly more. And a bunch of people wrote up articles about how she was trying to launch a makeup line and how she was trying to raise money for a GoFundMe and encourage people to donate. But then the conversation moved on. And that's like the thing with memes is that everything moves so quickly. Her asking for money for her meme became almost like a meme. It was something that was in like people were people were supportive of it and, you know, sharing it and sharing it and sharing it. But these things tend to peter out. And, you know, I like I hope she got I hope she got some money, but I, I haven't been able to contact her. So I don't I don't actually know. Kayla is the only person who originated it. Nobody can find any evidence of it existing on the Internet prior to that Vine clip. And so it's, you know, it's not something that was in the zeitgeist. It's her invention. It, what does Kayla's story represent for you about meme culture and Internet culture? Like, I feel like we all everyone I've talked to about memes. I'm always like, we're trying to get in touch with Peaches. We love on flea we we love slash hate that story right what does it say about our internet culture and our cultural at large that we're still talking about peaches and we're still talking about kayla eight years later she had something that was so widely adopted that the whole world was you know using this word and because it became ubiquitous and because it hung around for so long it became part of or it was seen as being part of the cultural fabric rather than her original creation. And because people acted so quickly to reward Chewbacca Mom and Damn Daniel, it it's seen as like permanently theirs. But Kayla had a chance to sort of soak into the fabric of the internet. Which to me just means that she's a better she was better at this. <laughs> but um but I think the price of being that good and having the identities that she does was was being forgotten. <laughs> It's time for everyone to accept that internet culture is just culture, but it's not treated as such, uh, in part because it's so ephemeral. I, I think for me, Kayla represents the, the price of that. It's, you can be super famous and by some measures super successful, right? Like she had an idea and it went global and that's hugely successful, but it's our Measures of cultural success for the internet have not been matched by any kind of appropriate financial compensation. Yeah, and and if you take off your reporter hat for a second and just yeah, as sure. somebody who loves the internet and loves memes and loves internet culture, what advice would you give her? What would you tell her now knowing so much about her story and how it fits into the general cultural conversation? I have younger siblings that, and they're in creative fields. I'm always encouraging to make sure they get credit for their work. Make sure when you do something that your name is on it and that everyone knows that your name is on it. Like, it's basically the advice is keep your receipts. You know, you want to be able to come back and prove that you did this thing. Being an expert at social media at this point is a job and it's a marketable skill. But the more evidence that you have of this skill that you're building, the better it's going to serve you down the line. Memes are serious business at the end of the day. We've seen that memes are a really effective delivery method for propaganda. We've seen that they're really effective recruitment measure for various extremist groups. And so there's something to take seriously. And it's not something that you only take seriously when it's bad. Like Pepe the Frog is a good example of a bad meme. It's also something that you should take seriously when it's good. And when you see memes that you really enjoy, that speak to you, it's probably worth looking into who made that and and trying to amplify 
the good people of the internet, the funny people of the internet, the you know kind and caring people of the internet as much as you can. The one of the things that we're talking about at Wired now is that it seems like the um, metabolic cycle for memes is just speeding up. It's like it, even more and more and more, faster and faster and faster, and like something will get super viral for a day and then be gone and replaced by something else, um, which presents even more of a challenge for aspiring aspiring meme makers because it's it's much harder to monetize something that has the lifespan of a fruit fly. And, you know, if you're in that space making memes yourself, like I said before, make sure that you're getting credit where your credit is due. Thank you so much for your time. No, thank you so much. Any any time. This was really fun. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Emma. Now, most people say don't at me, but I actually want you to at me. So at me your strong opinions. Tweet me at PopCultPirate on Twitter or slide into my DMs on Instagram where I'm at PopCulturePirate. Are you looking for a recommendation for another awesome podcast? Check out my friend Liz Plank's podcast called Divided States of Women. And if you ever thought, hey, this podcast would actually make a great video series, well, you'd be right. We have an audience of over 500,000 people on Facebook who are watching our new long-form video series. Our first episode tackles, what do you do when your pop culture is ruined by predators? Check it out on the Strong Opinions loosely held Facebook watch page. Our episode today was produced by the wonderful Julia Alsop with help from the very buff Jay Brunson. It was edited by the awesome David Zuckerman and myself. And please keep listening. There's another episode right after this. The number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, Autobotulinum Toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com.